Amen. That's a good song. I love that. Love that message. Amen. What a wonderful message of song there. Take your Bible. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 23. Verse 23. Now, I was a little disturbed um, this morning. I mean, I'm looking forward to going into the new year and all, but as I uh, stood in front of the singles class today, I was really disappointed uh, as I thought that, you know, that they would be like as excited about things as I was, but they were pretty down the dumps. I told them about a, a duck that walked into a store and he asked the manager, he said, uh, he asked him if he, if, if he sells grapes. And the manager said, well, no, we don't, we don't sell grapes. And the duck went home and the next day he came back and he asked the same question. And the manager said the same thing. He said, no, we, we don't sell grapes. The duck went on back to this house, you know, and he came back the next day. He steps up to the manager and he says, hey, do you, 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 you guys sell grapes? This time the manager said, no, we don't sell grapes. You know what? I'm getting sick and tired of you coming in here and asking me whether we sell grapes or not. I'm telling you, we don't ask, we don't sell grapes. And I'm telling you, if you ask me one more time, I'm going to nail your beak to the floor. <laughs> the duck goes home. And the next day he comes back and he asks the manager and he says, hey, you, you, you got any nails? <laughs> manager says, no, I don't have any nails. Okay, good. Do you sell grapes? See, it sounds like you might actually be awake. Yeah, that's, that's something. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know. We don't, we don't sell grapes around here. But anyway, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. The Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips Put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd work in our lives this morning. We realize that this is the last Sunday morning service of the year. It's hard to even wrap our minds around the reality, Lord, that another year of life has passed by. You said a day is as a thousand years to you. Lord, to us, it is very fleeting. To, for us, it's hard to even imagine something like that. And yet, Lord, we look forward to a day when we will be with you in paradise. But for now, we live in this world. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God and we thank you for the wonderful truths and principles that it shares with us. We're thankful that you have allowed us this wonderful opportunity to gather and to glean from your word that we may grow in Christ and ultimately go forward better for you. Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, may they settle that today. If there are any of believers that have yet to or, or, or have found themselves astray, Lord, may they once again come back to you tonight, to this morning. We ask, dear God, that we'd kick the year off right, 
And Lord, we'll thank you for what you'll accomplish. Now fill me with your Holy Ghost. Allow me to be your mouthpiece. I have nothing to give this thy people except you give it to me first. Oh God, please anoint every listening ear as well. Lord, be glorified now in this service. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now Proverbs is often referred to as the wisdom book of the Bible, and for good reason. I mean, the writer of the book was a man by the name of Solomon, whose reputation for wisdom is well, unparalleled, to say the least. We're reminded in Scripture of the source of this great wisdom, and we read over in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 1, in verse 7, And that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God... Let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? God said to Solomon, because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast uh, asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge uh, uh, has, has wisdom and knowledge for thyself that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee. Neither shall there any after thee have the like. So we know that Solomon's wisdom was extended to him by God himself. This was not something that he trained in the schools of his day. He didn't go to some uh, uh, mentor. He didn't seek it out from some other person. He literally would receive wisdom from God. Solomon now is advising his son in our passage. He's speaking to him and he is instructing him. In verse 23, he instructs him to guard his heart. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You must guard your heart, son, he says. Then he goes on in verse 24, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. He says, cast off sin, my, my son. Don't allow it to, to uh, remain in your presence and get rid of it. Cast it all. And, and then he goes on in verse 25 to say, and also not only must you guard your heart and cast off sin, you've got to remain focused. Then he says in verse 26, he basically says, settle your course, settle it, ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established, settle your course, know where you're going, what direction you're taking. And finally in verse 27, turn not to the right hand nor to the left, remove thy foot from evil, he says, stay on track. Stay on track. Once you find the right course, once you know which direction you're headed, when you know you're doing what God wants you to do, you keep on going and don't get off track. Well, that's good advice for all of us, even today, isn't it? I want you to turn, if you would, now to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This, too, is a familiar passage. More than likely, you've heard it at some point, unless you are literally brand new to a church, and that's fine, too. You've got to start somewhere, right? This is something you probably have heard, or you're hearing it now. 
Matthew 7, verse 13 through 14. The Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. See, the Bible teaches us that the very moment that we come to Jesus Christ, the moment we place our personal faith and trust in the Lord, the fact, the moment that we are, as the Bible says, saved, we are placed on a pathway leading to everlasting life. We understand that we are safe and we are secure due to the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on Calvary. However, even though that is the case, we need to travel this path in life. There is a path we must travel in life. And the truth is that path offers many twists and many turns. And the believer is being exhorted and instructed to stay on track and remain on the straight and the narrow, so to speak. Now let's be honest. That's much easier said than done. The truth is that each of us could express reasons why we struggle with remaining consistent in our Christian lives. We could all express some obstacles that seem to trip us up possibly or cause us to kind of deviate from the path if not careful. We even convince ourselves, however, at times that our failures are to be expected, seeing that we're simply just human, though. I mean, you gotta, you got to figure it. I mean, I mean, we're human, right? I mean, we're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect, so therefore, I guess it's really not that big a deal if I get off course a little bit, if I trip up some. I mean, well, the fact remains that we are equipped as believers. We have been made capable. God has enabled us to be victorious in the Christian life. The truth is that any failures that we experience in our own life, it's because of our own selves. It's not because we lack the ability or the opportunity that Christ has given. He's he's provided us the necessary tool and tools to get the job done. We are indwelt, the Bible teaches us. Turn to John chapter 14, verse 16. Right off the bat, if you know Christ is your Savior, if you've invited Him into your life, then the Bible teaches that you are indwelt by the person of the Holy Ghost. Literally, God lives inside you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John chapter 14, and Jesus, of course, is on earth when he's saying this. He's saying it to his disciples in verse 16 through 18. He said, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be where? In you. I will not leave you comfortless, Jesus said, but he goes on to say, I will come to you. The fact is, is that when Jesus left the earth, he he prayed the Father, as he said, and literally the, the Holy Spirit was sent on behalf of Christ to indwell the believer so that they were no longer left comfortless. They had someone to lean on, someone that would strengthen them, enable them, teach them, and train them, and and enable them to overcome all obstacles in the, the world in which they live. Christ himself, in the person of the Holy Ghost, lives inside me, and he lives inside you if you know Christ as your Savior. Because, see, the Holy Spirit living in us also empowers us. Look, if you would, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 4. There is no doubt that we face tremendous temptation and numerous obstacles in our life as believers, without a doubt. That is so true. But we also have the Holy Ghost that lives in us and empowers us according to the Word of God. Notice what it says in 1 John 4, 4. He says, Ye are of God, little children. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because... Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that's in you. Hey, have you received Christ? Well, guess what? Greater is he that's in you then than he that's in the world. You say, I'm having a hard time with this temptation. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I'm really having a hard time. The devil's giving me all kind of fits. I'm going to tell you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's what he tells us. He reminds the disciples of this great truth prior to his ascending back to the Father in John 14, 12, when he says, Verily, verily, I send you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. He said, I'm going to get to Daddy, and when I get to my Father, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is going to indwell you and empower you and enable you to do even greater things than I could do here on earth. You say, that's crazy. That's just the Bible. See, we always sell ourselves super short of what God intended. Oh, I could never do that. I, I mean, I could never. I, I just was, I would be mortified if I had to. I couldn't do that. And why not? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Where does that, that verse come? At some point we seem to dismiss the ones that seem to push us along in our Christian lives because we're so concerned about failing in the sight of others. We need to stop allowing our pride to dictate and determine our next step and instead allow the Spirit of God to do so. We are indwelled and we are empowered and the Apostle Paul also reminds us of this truth. He says in Romans 3, excuse me, 8.37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're more than conquerors. I don't know, I mean, just a conqueror is pretty good, but we're more than conquerors. And so we read in Proverbs 4.27, our text, and this is what I really want to focus on, turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. As we conclude 2023, as we look forward to 2024, how important will it be that we do not look or turn, should I say, to the right hand or to the left hand? So how do we keep from turning? How do we keep from turning? Well, first of all, in Scripture, there's a number of examples in the children of Israel, of course, had experienced a wonderful, miraculous victory at Jericho. Sadly, their battle against Ai, a much weaker opponent, mind you, didn't go so well. But why was Israel defeated? If we'd taken any time to go back and we took time to go look at the passages there in Scripture, we had realized that the fact is, is that uh, it was a simple three-letter word that co created all the problem. Sin. 
Sin's always the culprit, is it not? But more specifically, the sin of Achan. God had told the people of God, he had said, listen, you destroy everything and any precious metals that there may be, you bring them to the treasury. Well, let me tell you, Achan decided that that wasn't as good an idea as his. His idea was to disobey God and instead take it to himself. And when he did that and when he had received the forbidden spoils, let me tell you, he sinned against God and he sinned against his nation, he sinned against his family, and he sinned against himself because ultimately we know it didn't end very well for him or the nation or his family. Joshua chapter 7 verse 20 and 21 when asked about why in the world would you do such a thing, Achan? Why in the world, Achan, did you turn to the right hand and to the left? Why didn't you go the way you're supposed to go? Why didn't you remain on the straight and narrow? Achan answers Joshua and he said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, I hid in the earth. I, I, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. When I saw. Hmm. That's something. Oh, wait a second. In Judges chapter 14, we read about another man by the name of Samson. The Bible says in verse 1, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman. He saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore go uh, get her for me to wife. And And then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren and among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. She pleases them well. Hmm. He saw a woman. I have seen. Hmm. Then, of course, we, in our Sunday school classes, possibly, I believe that you probably read maybe a little bit about old David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David, David tarried still at Jerusalem, and it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw, he saw, he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. You know what I got to think? I read through the Word of God and as I start to consider all the characters that God has placed there, and they were legit, they were real, this isn't some fairy tale book. I got to believe that probably, more than likely, the greatest reason we turn to the left hand or to the right hand is because we, it's because of what we see or what we are focused on. It has to do with our eyes, it has to do with our direction. So if that's the case, how do we keep from turning then? Because that's what this wise man of the Bible is telling his son. He's saying, listen, you know what way to travel. You know you ought to maintain a straight and narrow pathway. You know you can't get off to the right or the left, or you are going to find a terrible world of hurt. Well, Daddy, how do I, how do I stay on the straight and narrow? 
How do I keep from turning to the right or the left? And Solomon probably says, well, son, it's important that you keep your eyes fixed straight ahead, that you don't look to the right or left. Because if you start looking, you're probably going to go. So what do we do? How do we keep from turning? I believe this is best accomplished by one, keeping our eyes on the Savior. Turn to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Keeping our eyes on the Savior. Years ago, and again, you've heard the story, I'm sure, over and over again, but I heard the story about two boys that were playing in a big open field, and the snow had come, and there was probably about six inches of snow on the ground, and uh, they said, you know what? We're going to see who can make the straightest line in the snow. Now, normally, boys would say, let's race. Let's see who can do the fastest. But instead, they said, let's see who can run the straightest create the straightest line, run down straight ahead and see who creates the straightest line. And so the two boys took off running. And boy, I mean to tell you, they stayed pretty close together. But in the long run, they look, they stop at the end, they turn around, they look. And one of those is like this. It is, I mean, it looked like a snake, all weavy. The other one was almost straight as an arrow. And that boy that had, you know, done all of that, he looked at the other kid and said, how in the world do you run such a straight line? He said, well, it was simple. I picked out, you see that big tree right there? That big tree? When I was all the way over there, I just looked at the big tree and I ran straight for the tree. I just kept my eyes on that tree and kept running right to the tree. How do we keep from turning? I believe it's best accomplished by keeping our eyes on the Savior. Oh, he's fixed. He's going nowhere. Look what he says in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Here it is now. We're running a race, right? With patience we're running that race. What's that mean? Oh, take it slow and easy, friend. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying you're running with patience, meaning you're going to have some obstacles along the way. You may have to go over a few hills and go down in some valleys. You may have to, you may have to climb over an obstacle here and under another one there. Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of things. Be patient. Realize the race is worth running. Don't let it cause you to get discouraged and quit because you're coming up against obstacles. And so he says, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Here it is now, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, that is really the key. Keeping our eyes on the Savior. If you want to run the straight and narrow, if you don't want to get off course, if you don't want to go to the right or the left, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, who is a fixed object, and go toward Him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But not only that, you need to keep your eyes not only on the Savior, you need to keep your eyes on Scripture. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's amazing to me how many times, I, I mean, today we live in a culture and a, a society where there, we have access to all this information, right? 
there's all these how-to books. There's all kind of people writing, whether or not they're legitimate, whether or not they should be writing or not, doesn't even matter anymore. Everybody's got a voice. We can read anything we want from anybody we want. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's so good to get information. Information is so empowering, isn't it? Unless it's the wrong information. Christians are buying into the wrong information all the time. Because we want to be smarter than the next, so to speak. We think somehow if we just learn something else, we'll be better off. We'll be able to overcome an obstacle. We'll be able to deal with a problem. We'll be able to have a better marriage and a better family and a better... Yeah. It's not really complicated, this Christian life. Do you know what the problem is? It's not that we don't know enough. It's that we don't do enough. It's not that we don't know what we should say, where we should go, and what we should do. It's that we just don't do it. You say, what? Yeah. Look at how simple this is. Keep your eyes on the Savior. Oh, wait a second. Keep your eyes on Scripture. That's a good thing. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Think about this for a minute. How simple is this to keep on the straight and narrow? How do I keep my marriage strong? How do I raise my children right? How do I make, uh, be successful in life? How do I be a force in the ministry. Uh, let's see, start by keeping our eyes on the Savior and keeping our eyes on the Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Hmm. What does that mean? It's given by inspiration of God. That means that it's God-breathed. That means that it didn't come from man. This book is not written by mankind. I, was, I cracked up the other day. I, I, I saw this little, I don't know what you call them, those little shorties or something. And uh, there's this guy on there talking about the King James. And so I thought, I'm going to see what he says about the King James. And he got on there and said, oh, you guys that use the King James Bible, I'm going to show you something's going to blow you away. I'm going to show you something's going to really rock your world. <laughs> what are you going to say when I show you this? And I'm thinking, well, start showing and just shut up. Come on, dude, get with it. He pulls out an old... He goes, I have the original right here of the, the, the King James Bible from 1611, and I'm going to show you something's going to blow you away. He opens it up and he goes, look right there. There's the Apocrypha. Apocrypha are books that are no longer included in the Word of God in the King James Bible today. They're not included in any Protestant Bible. And I'm thinking, is that all you got, friend? Do you realize there was a king who wanted everybody to read his Bible? He didn't just want a Protestant. He wanted a Catholic. He wanted everybody to read his Bible. So when he printed it, he said, you put that Apocrypha in there. We want them all there. So everybody uses that Bible and none other. Wow, that was complicated. But can I tell you that what you hold in your hand today and that King James Bible is nothing less than God's perfect word. Amen. You'll never read anything else that comes directly from heaven than this book right here. Oh, go ahead, pick up somebody's book on how-to. Eh, it don't compare to his how-to. We spend a lot of time outside this book trying to get answers that God's already given us in the book. 
He says that this book is under inspiration of God and it's profitable, it's profitable, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. Doctrine, that's what's right. You say, I want to know what's right, preacher. Get in the Word of God. It's profitable for doctrine. You want to know what's right? Get in the Word of God. You say, wait a second, what's that reproof mean? He says, what's wrong? He said, I tell you what. He said, this book's given by inspiration of God. It's God's word, and guess what? It's profitable. It'll help you in this area of doctrine. It'll tell you what's right. But not only that, it'll tell you what's wrong. But then correction. It'll tell you how to get right. And that book, you know what else it'll do? It'll tell you how to stay right. It'll instruct you. You see, it's all in the word of God already. It's all there we got to, one, keep our eyes on the Savior. Two, keep our eyes on the Scripture. And if we don't want to get off course, we want to keep on the straight and narrow, we want to continue to fly the way God intends us to fly, then we got to keep our eyes on the sky. Yeah, so what do you mean? An anticipation of Christ's return. We can't get so distracted from Him and His return that we forget that, wait a second, He could come back this moment. Well, i tell you what, you want to get off course in this life? You want to start traveling a different route than God wants you to travel? Then forget that he could come back at any moment. Dismiss that. Just pretend, oh, well, I mean, he's been saying he's coming back forever. I guess I can, I'm safe to do what I want for a while, and I'll get right at the end. Uh, you better not look to the left or to the right. How do I keep from doing that? Well, like we said already, oh, keep your eyes on the Savior. Keep your eyes in the scriptures. Keep your eyes on the sky. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Turn there, would you please? Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God... For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Aren't you glad salvation is by grace through faith? Amen. Plus or minus nothing. Aren't you glad it's not what we do, it's what he's already done for us. Amen. Boy, if that wasn't the case, we'd all be doomed. If it was working so good in the Old Testament when they kept all those sacrifices, why did God turn around and change it all? Well, according to Hebrews, he changed it because it wasn't working. The only thing that would work would be a sacrifice that was acceptable to God forever and ever and ever and ever. And that only sac acceptable sacrifice was none other than God himself on Calvary taking the place of all humanity and paying for our sin by his precious perfect blood and broken body on Calvary. That's why it's grace. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve a relationship with God. None of us deserve to be saved from our sin and the consequences of it, but the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The great God, the great God, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that we're looking for His glorious appearing. We're keeping our eye on the sky. 
We acknowledge the fact that he died for us, was buried and rose again, but we also know he promised to return and he's going to be coming in the clouds and we as believers are going to be raptured out and taken with him. I'll tell you what, that'll help keep us on the straight and narrow. That'll help keep us from looking right and left when we keep our eyes focused on the Savior. We keep our eyes focused in the Scriptures. We keep our eyes focused on the sky. Straight ahead. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left, Solomon tells his son. How many times... Have we as parents looked at our children and spoke to them and said, listen, you got to obey me. you got to do what I ask you to do. you got to do what I tell you to do. Man, listen, it's for your own good. I'm not doing that to make your life miserable. I'm doing that to protect you, not to punish you. you got to fly straight. you got to go straight. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right, son. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right, daughter. Fly straight. But sadly enough, what we do, if we're not careful, we say things like, well, we'll get them involved in sports and that'll help them to fly straight. We'll get them involved in education and that education will empower them and enable them to be successful in this world and they will avoid all the hardship and heartache of poverty and all the social ills of society. When's the last time you looked your child in the eye and said, listen, I want to help you to go the right way. I don't want you to turn to left or right because it's in your best interest. So I'm going to tell you how to do that, son. I'm going to tell you how to do that, daughter. I'm going to tell you right now, you've got to get your focus and your eyes on Jesus Christ, the Savior. You can't be looking at everyone and everything else. You've got to look at Jesus and you've got to keep your nose in that book, the Word of God. And you've got to remember, he's coming back at any moment. We like to come up with all these ways to keep our kids flying straight. But it seems so often we leave God and the Word of God out of it. And if we do throw it in, well, we'll take them to church. Well, what, what, you want the church to fix them? I'm going to tell you this, the truth is, is that what we need is the home to be focused on the Savior, the home to be focused on the Scriptures, the home to be focused on the sky. And then the church comes along and says, oh boy, Mom and Daddy, you're right. Mom and Daddy got it right. And they go, well, I guess Mom and Dad must have it really right because they're not the only ones saying it. Everybody else is too. I'll tell you, if we... Hope to not turn to the left or right. We cannot afford to be distracted. Man, how many times have I been driving down the road and reaching to get something out of the glove compartment or pick up something that had fallen on the floor only to look back up and find myself headed off the road? I mean, Brother Kavanaugh mentioned that in the message the other day, but I, I remember I do it too often. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think the older we get, the easier it is to do that. Not the easier to pick something up off the floor. No, that's a lot harder. But because it's so much harder to pick up the floor, I think sometimes it's like, yeah! whoa! Right? You ever been there, you know? You hear that, whoa! 
And that's when you're glad they put those things in the road. Otherwise, you're like, let me do that. They're ruining my front end. Until you're going off the road because you're trying to grab something out of your glove compartment. You know, one of my great things, you know, you're trying to find a Kleenex, right? But you don't got no Kleenexes. I mean, only organized people put Kleenexes in their cars. And so you're looking and you think, man, you know what? I was at McDonald's the other day. Maybe I threw some of those paper towels in my glove compartment. You open that glove compartment, you're searching in there trying to find a paper towel. And next thing you get distracted. Get distracted. Boy, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I tell you, I've looked up a few times and thought, I'm dead. It's dangerous when you get distracted and you start going to the right or left. It can be extremely dangerous. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, listen to this verse. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Oh, wow. No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I was just eight years old, and I was playing organized football for the first time. Call it peewee football. And uh, I, was a, I, I, I was a running back. And, uh, I mean, I, obviously you can't tell now that I was extremely, extremely, you know, like the Flash. But uh, actually I wasn't, as you're going to find out in just a moment. I was playing a wing back, actually. Some of you may know what that is, but it's basically a running back, okay? So I'm, a, I'm playing running back. I'm on the left side. And they send a, a, a running back this way, getting a handoff. And then I'm coming the other way. It's called a reverse. So all the motion runs this way. Everybody's going that way. And here I come running along. Oh. And I'm running around the end. Down, I, I'm running down the sideline. I look up. And honestly, all I see is, I mean, green grass and the goal line. That's all I can see. Man, I mean, I'm trucking. I'm moving. All eight years old. I'm moving the best I can. I mean, nobody around me, nobody. Touchdown, for sure. But out of nowhere, I see this guy chasing me. Me way back. <laughs> What's he doing? He coming running. He's running. I mean, he's moving. And I'm running as fast and as hard as I possibly can. And I, and I realize something. He's gaining. And every time I look back, it seemed like he was a little closer. And 63 yards later, just before reaching the end zone, he caught me from behind and he brings me down on the five-yard line. Do you know we never scored? Well, when I got home that afternoon, the game was over, you know, I get to the house. My daddy let me know that looking back wasn't the best way to reach the end zone. <laughs> then what were you doing, Mark? I said, I just kept looking at him and seeing how far he was. He said, why are you looking? Just run. Put, put, get your focus on that goal line and don't look back, don't look right or left, just look at the goal line and run the fastest you can. 
Boy, you know what? He told me it, it slows you down when you start looking to the right or left, especially if you look back. Slow you down big time. You know, it cost us a touchdown, and it cost us a victory. And so it is in the Christian life. See, you, cannot, you and I can get... We, we can't afford to get caught looking back. We can't afford to get caught turning to the left or turning to the right. We've got to stay on the straight and narrow. We've got to run the course that Jesus Christ has given us. We can't afford to get off track. Maybe you're lost today without Jesus Christ in your life. The only time... The only time that it's good to turn is when you're turning from sin to the Savior. In Ezekiel 3.19, it says, Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. In verse 33.19, But if the wicked turn from his wickedness, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. Man, that's a good time to turn when you're in your sin. It's a good time to, to look another direction. It's a good time to stop focusing on Satan and sin and the society and all the lustful things that seem to consume us. No, it's time to turn to Jesus and be saved. Be cleansed from your sin, the guilt and the shame that go along with it. Receive everlasting life. Maybe today, you know Christ is your Savior. As we enter into the year 2024, I wonder, will you stay focused on the finish line? We can't afford to turn to the left or to the right. It always leads us off the pathway and into trouble. Will you in 2024, as we enter this year, commit yourself to saying, I'm not going to turn to the left or right. I'm going to remain on course. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Savior. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Scriptures. I'm going to keep my eye on the sky. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. May God help us this year. To stay on track. Do you know Christ? I don't know him. Let's settle it. Let's get it done right now. Start the new year off right with Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you know him, let's make sure if we're even starting to veer off a little bit to the right or left, that we bring it back in. That we confess it as sin and we forsake it and we move forward for God. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we've had together and the opportunity that we had, Lord, just to hear from you and your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us today. We have heard from the wisest man in the world who is being inspired by you in this passage. And, Lord, we are being admonished, exhorted, even commanded to not turn to the right hand or to the left hand. Oh, help us, Lord, to stay on the straight and narrow. Help us, Father, to fly in the direction you've set us, our course for. Oh God, if we have turned, may we come back. Lord, for that person that's lost without Jesus, may they settle it today by simply stepping out into the aisle, coming forward and allowing someone to take a Bible and show them some precious promises from the Word of God. Simple, simple truths that if applied to their life 
will free them from the consequences of their sin and give to them eternal life because you are life. And when they receive you, they will inherit it. Help them, Father, to trust you today. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.